how I used to do things in my corporate life is I go in prepared, right? This is very Singaporean. Yes. Yes. Your structure in place, your SOP is there. Yes. In a startup world and in a market like Indonesia, you kind of like, whatever you prepare for, it's, it's going to be like, you know. So it's really, I've learned to kind of sit back and watch what the market does. Yes. Right. And then you sit and then you kind of decide and respond a little step at a time. Right, you know, if it's if it's not too bad, maybe you can let the community respond to it. They have their ways to um, yes, move around, to respond to your 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 product, and in that whole process, your community grows. Always look at the market. It's really the market that is going to give you the best information. Lin Shufen is the former vice president and head of entertainment and smart life at Starhub, and was awarded SG Hundred Women in Tech. She is the founder of Glue which is a decentralized P2P marketplace for mobile data, which hosts a cloud that provides secure connectivity anywhere and is powered by gluers who share the data for rewards. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this series. Uh, today, we'll be interviewing Shufan from Glue Life. Hi, Shufan. Hi. Thank you, so, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this uh, video series as well as podcast. Thank you for um, having me. Thank you. So this is part of the founding story where we interview startups of different stages from different verticals. And today uh, we have Glue Life, of course, which is more digital economy focused, a bit of telco related and sharing economy as well. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about yourself, Glue Life and the story behind it. Mm. Okay, so I'm like a middle-ager founder. <laughs> I spent about uh, two decades in uh, corporate life. Actually, I worked for a really long time in a, in a local telco mm. before I started Blue Life. So we incorporated Blue Life in 2017. We went commercial in 2019. So we're pretty act- we're downloaded in more than 10 countries, but we are mostly localized in Indonesia and Singapore. Alright, okay. And of course, congratulations on winning the Jennifer Research Future Digital Awards. Um, And that's in the Citizen Engagement Solution category because Mm -hmm. of what you do, right? Um, So what does this award mean to you? Oh, it means a lot. It was um, the second award that we won. I mean, Juniper is like a recognized and trusted Mm -hmm. industry brand. I mean, there are big brand names that has won the award. So I I mean, it's a... I mean, we were a startup, right? We commercialized only in two years. It's a big... Um, kind of pat on the back and a recognition of what we're trying to do which is really to enable individuals and you know people to make use of their devices Correct. to get internet especially in developing countries so I mean I'll, I always say that our mission is to extend internet access to as much as 100% mm. right so internet access in developed countries is not a problem right in Singapore we, you don't get signal problems everywhere you go but and people tend to think of it as, oh, it's more than 95%, 99% covered. But actually, in developing countries, internet access is a problem. Mm. It's only in the recent years that in Indonesia, it crossed 60%. Okay. So the idea is to make it, as you know, internet access is related to economic Correct. opportunities. Education learning. access, financial access. Yeah. So it's so important in, in, in everyone's life. So I think it's kind of a recognition of our, what we're trying to do in this space. Okay. And uh, another few things I want to understand is what actually inspired you to start Glue Life uh, based on your experience in telco? Uh, and why not just stick to the corporate life in, in a huge telco company? Why, why go through the very treacherous path of a startup? To this day, I'm still wondering. <laughs> I have yes. a knack of just going to something and trying it without knowing how deep it is and as I go into it and I realise the depth as I go along and as I I guess it's good learning experience um, what inspired me I, I 
my corporate life, I dealt. Um, so I was running BU's. I was running the media and the internet access BU. So it's yes. it's quite related. So yes. I know a lot about connectivity, yeah, access. Although it was in a Singapore uh, context, I suppose you can say that was the catalyst, right? To try and do something um, in a structure that possibly I have a little bit more control and mm. explore uh, uh, new markets and to try and make an impact. Okay. And so your target audience for Google Life, right, to enable uh, internet access for them are largely people who are a bit less privileged? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yes, it's highly, I mean, the, the users that we are seeing, it's highly correlated with the working class. Correct. Um, because in Indonesia, more than 90% of the users are on prepaid, mm. right? Um, so... Unlike in Singapore, the, 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 the difficulty in getting internet access is kind of an everyday thing. When you, when you go out and there's no signal, you go, oh, okay. Yeah. But in Singapore, we're like, what? You yeah. know, there's no internet access. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of like um, quite a new experience. Um, mm. Quite a new, I mean, you, it's the same product, but yes. it impacts people in such different ways in different markets. Correct. Yeah. And I'm sure there might be some challenges that come with targeting this particular working class segment, right? They are long-term customers, but low revenue in that sense. Yeah. So, so in the long run, how, how are you going to leverage on this working class target audience? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So Indonesia is a huge market. It's like exactly. almost 300 million. Exactly. Um, scale is like, you know, that kind of scale. And when we went in, um, so our business model is we allow people to just source for internet from kind of strangers around you, right? They're nearby devices. And there has to be an incentive for the sharer and the, the taker has to give something in return, yes, right? Correct. Nothing is for free. So we have this digital currency that allows the trade. But we, we realize going to it that the propensity to pay from the working class is low. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They just want it free. Yes. Right? Secure and free. So then we started to work with brands, businesses. Yes. We brought them in and we say... Let's get them to sponsor internet. Okay. Right. Let's get them to be enablers, to be the M uh, to enable internet access, uh, providing sponsoring the incentives okay. for the whole business model to work. And in return, what we will do with the mm-hmm. anonymized data that we're getting, we will turn it into insights. Okay. For them. So that's how we scaled in the beginning. We kind okay. of uh, did a lot of free things, you know, to get users on board. We okay. um, basically use our know-how, our data analytics services to turn it into insights by mm-hmm. working with brands. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's the start of most uh, consumer-facing products and services, uh, especially in the sharing economy. Uh, you, you go in free and get a lot of uh, acquisition. Uh, so, and if you monetize way too early, then that's where your churn rate starts to increase, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But for your sort of uh, business and the sharing economy, you need to hit some sort of critical mass Absolutely. to be really revolutionary. And yeah. what is your game plan to hit this critical mass? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So B2C is phenomenally expensive. Uh, it is. Markets, yeah. I mean, we've seen examples of how Grab and... Yeah, it's a huge marketing play as well. You need yeah. huge marketing capital. Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, we started thinking about this that as a startup, we cannot always be relying on investment funds and Correct. throwing money in the market. Mm. So hence the start to B2B, right? We started to work with uh, brands who we can bring them in and they provide the inflow of funds. And recently, we've gone a bit even further with okay. the pivot towards... Um, so a lot of the... I mean, in the first year of service, a lot of engagement happened in the app, in the group app. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk to brands, the brands who are sponsoring this will say, um, but... You, your app is in, inheriting all the engagement and the brand feel good and what whatnot. 
I also want this on my own brand. Okay. So what we've started to do is to create a, a product. So we turn the, the, the best, the, the goo juice into like a plugin. And so it's like a white label uh, sort of integration. Yeah. yeah. Like an SDK. I see. Okay. That brands, if they have consumer facing apps, they can plug in mm. and still enjoy the, the, the internet sharing economy, you know, okay. the trading of internet and the seeking of Wi-Fi within the app itself making okay. use of their own um, ecosystem whether it's they want to use points to reward or, mm. or using their own uh, login so we've made that pivot and we're actually uh, uh, already integrated into an Indonesian e-wallet um, okay we're in test right now um, I mean there, there are there are some news coverage it's, it's public yes news public domain. Correct. I think we are going to make an announcement really soon on okay. when the users can get it and we're also in talks with uh a couple of uh, brands in mm. Indonesia and in Singapore and possibly a third market. Yeah. Oh, that's great. A third market. That I, I mean, it's, it's early stages, but okay. you know, um, but this model gives us the flexibility to be able, because critical mass, like you say, is important. Exactly. You want to go into the app and be able to have people who are in group for you to, yes. you know. And perhaps leverage on the partner brand name. Yeah, yes. that's right. And yes. their network, right? Yes. They have huge bases and huge users and the best for us is to get our sort of our engine out there yes the service out there first yeah. the brand name of Blue can you know still slowly gain traction inside thing yes yeah, embedded inside and the thing for us is then the user experience is good right yes so you correct. get into the app and you realise oh there's a lot of people whom you really can get connected yes. with yes yeah. correct so what is the user journey like if it's uh, say uh, in the Indonesia e-wallet with a Blue Life plugin uh, how does the sharing uh, of the, the internet connectivity still work? Right. So it's really quite uh, simple. So in a regular app, we typically engage in a discussion with a Correct. partner on how they see this unfolding, how their user journey, and it shouldn't be, you know, the core the core use of the app should remain. So it's just a little yes. Wi-Fi icon yes. uh, on the first page and when mm. you kind of hit the icon mm. and then it starts to search if there are, if there are users around that you can source connectivity from. Okay. As to how the trade happens is quite we, we really have this is a conversation between us and the brand like how do we want the ecosystem to work how do okay. we want the you know the, the, the economy to work so it's very important to get alignment with your partner brands yeah. so that your user experience doesn't get affected much but they still that's enjoy right. the same benefits that's right I Correct. see yeah okay and at the very initial phase right uh, were you validating uh, the product in Singapore only or in both markets and what's the timing like? Was it Singapore first and Indonesia or Indonesia first and Singapore? Because they're very, very different needs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you, we are talking about Glue as a whole? Yes, Glue as a whole. Um, yeah, so we launched in Singapore first. Actually, we did operator. But um, the, it didn't quite take off, honestly, because the infrastructure in Singapore is so good, right? Yes, I mean, you have Wi-Fi, wireless, SG everywhere, yeah. your malls, your buildings, etc. Yeah, yes. so um, initially, a lot of people were very interested. They were, oh, such an interesting um, um, service. So we really hit traction when we when we landed in Indonesia. Of course, because um, then the bigger, there's bigger problems there to solve. Yeah, right? and, and yeah. we kind of realised it as we go in I mean, oh, okay. quite like the, when we first went in and by the second month we really saw a huge uh, surge we threw a viral so actually we were about to invest in marketing yes. and then we realised that oh my god we're so overwhelmed by the traffic because they were kind of passing the app around and saying hey download this app because you yes. can you know, source for the internet and all that 
we were a bit uh, uh, overwhelmed oh, wow. by the traffic. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't be ready. Is a yeah. Yes. So it was a good learning experience. The first three to six months, we and then we met. We had some issues with scams as with uh, oh really okay as with uh, yes. any startup entry into the into the developing market. So we spent a lot of time reinforcing our platform, learning and reinforcing and reinforcing our community rules, engagement okay. rules, how um, how things would be. Mm. So. Yeah, so that was the experience in Indonesia. And were you physically there in Indonesia to yeah. kickstart and launch it? Actually, we spent a year in Indonesia before we commercially launched it. We wanted to make sure we had good uh, infrastructure uh, partnerships. partnerships uh, so we're quite blessed. Um, we have about you know half of our investors, and uh, one of them has become our strategic advisor. Are uh, actually Indonesians, um, so they understand the landscape better. Understand the landscape. Indonesia culture is completely different. Uh, compared to Singapore. yeah, totally relationships focused. Yes, um, very personal. Yeah, and the network. So it was. It's our growth is really instrumental to our uh, Indonesian investors and advisors. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them um, is Alex. Uh, he's uh, he's Alex Rusty. He's he was the um, CEO of Indosat, and he came out a few years ago mm-hmm. to start his own uh, fintech group of businesses. So we've been working very closely with with his team, and he's been. You know, helping us, introducing mm. us to brands and all that. So that really helped. Okay. So, and, and I think it would be a great advice to any uh, very nascent startup founders out there, right? Uh, that that finding a key investor, especially a strategic one, would be instrumental to yeah, uh, the absolutely. early stages, especially entering a new market yeah. uh, or launch, uh, rolling out a service with, with great traction, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, how did you manage to, to, to get connected with uh, the strategic <laughs> investor, Alex? And yeah. And how did you? How did he uh, took a took a chance and, and put money with you? Yeah. So so I always think that in anything that in life is uh, it's half your hard work and talent, and the other half is really what the universe is gonna give you. You know, universe will meet you halfway. So I guess our, my corporate life uh, yeah. helped in a way that um, we have contacts, right? So yes. speak to one person, one person. Oh yeah, I'll introduce you to another yes. person, and and yes. yes. Alex is just it was he wasn't a direct uh, contact, it was an introduction and we I kind see. of met him uh, fresh and he was really intrigued by the idea and he was sold and even today he's you know very passionate about uh, this. Okay. Yeah, and working very closely. So um, we have a couple okay. of other investors who uh, I mean some of them don't, don't really want to be named, but they are in other industries and they're okay. also actively helping us uh, link up with brands we can work with, okay. you know, uh, landing partners that we can uh, kind of leverage on when okay. we enter the market. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's a lot of groundwork. Yes, you have to do, you have to go into the market, a lot of groundwork, totally different from Singapore. Nothing in, mm-hmm. I mean, in from that perspective, in a way, nothing in my Singapore corporate life really prepared me for the whole new market dynamics, the culture, exactly. the how the users interact with products and services, what they expect. UI is totally different. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I we learned very quickly is we when we do tests mm. for applications yes. in Singapore, the infrastructure is so good, right? Yeah, you never exactly. lose connection. So a lot of the app processes assumes because there's a lot of communication to yes. the cloud. Right? You can just copy and paste the same infra. Assumes that you always have yes. like connection to send data back to your backend. Yes, like Indonesia connection drops every now and then, and <laughs> that in the beginning screwed up a lot of our backend processes. Then we were like, oh, you know crashes and we quickly learned that our the pro, the, the way we built our app mm. our testing environments number the baseline assumption is 
a bad internet yes. connectivity. So what do you do? How are you going to relay the data in order to make sure the app still functions optimally? Correct. And you not lose data. Yeah. And from an investor's perspective, uh, this is something that I've, I've heard an angel investor say in a podcast recently, is that uh, one of the things that he looked at is whether the founders are in that market that they're trying to serve and operate, especially in the very early days, it's very, very critical. Of course, now with COVID, it might be a bit challenging, uh, but it's one of the criteria people look at. So I think being in Indonesia was quite critical uh, to the launch uh, in the market as well. Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I have personally seen uh, house sharing economy, you know, in fashion rental, car uh, ride hailing, uh, and things including internet connectivity itself, right, have really impacted people's lives. So how do you really get in touch with the customers and see, you know, the, the changes or problems that they face? Yeah. And as I as I was saying that we spend more than a year before mm-hmm. we launch. We spoke to partners. We spoke to investors, and we kind of, you kind of have to walk the streets. You kind of have to do look at the brands that they interact with, how they interact with apps. Um, and uh, it, in the, the, the thing about Indonesia is also that if you're dealing with a working class, their phones tend to be lower end. They yes, don't upgrade yes. their OS so often. Okay. Yeah. So then the way that you structure your application, your user interface has to, has to make sure it's optimized for okay. that. And because they don't have a lot of space in the phone. So you have to keep it simple, right? To keep it small. Yes. And you have to kind of really prove your 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 occupying that space in the phone because they delete very fast. I see. So if why you don't get why what they want? Yes, delete. And it's not so much about data. It's just about I don't have space. <laughs> this one doesn't offer me anything. Delete. Yeah. So you got to get you you got to kind of get straight to the the best value that you offer to the user. It has to be apparent in the app. And that's a that's a very good point. And also retaining them for them to get hooked under the app, yeah. keep using, keep using, keep using to, to yes. justify that storage space. That's right. Yes. And, and once you get that, the yes. biggest reward you can get is that the viral the viral rate is really high because mm. they tell each other and they start they start sending the apps to each other mm. and they say hey, download you know so that 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 whole uh, that helps you scale yes. right building uh, a sort of network community right? correct well, leveraging on the on the word of mouth. The, during the months when you know we experienced searches, we didn't even have to like go out and tell everybody this is what we're going to do. We tell mm. a few when a few users in our community knows that okay we're gonna you know upload this new reward, the whole base knows. Oh wow! Because the word okay. just just goes and around, it, and it's fast, and sometimes it's even more effective than any ads that you can run. That's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. I remember in the first six months, our wallet was actually traded um, in the in the market space like they were accumulating a lot of uh, our digital currency is called bits, right? Yes, and correct. they were selling it. <laughs> oh, you can sell it? Okay. I, I don't so know. Is it, is it something that you're saying? No, 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 it's not. No, no, it's not official. So every every user has a wallet of their own okay. that contains your digital currency yes. that you can kind of exchange for rewards in the store. Yes. Yeah. So these people were participating in our programs and earning yes. a lot of uh, bits and yes. trying to trade it, you know, in the open market. We were like, oh, that's really interesting. And they were doing their own Kind of uh, education video. This is how you use glue. You know, oh, when that's you great! To accompany the they know, become the, an advocate already as a brand. Yeah, I see. Okay, so I think in uh, not just yourself, but many startups face circumstances that they cannot foresee. You might not have foreseen that people would trade uh, no, uh, glitz in totally the open not. market, right? Totally not. As to other consumer products, as to other consumer services, right? Uh, and then when you come to such uh, unexpected scenarios, is it something that you you know you just let the consumers do what they like? Is something you might try to manage or restrict? Like, oh, what's your treatment to such a scenario? 
So, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is really interesting because how I used to do things in my corporate life is I go in prepared, right? This is very Singaporean family. Yes, guess <laughs> right? Your structure <laughs> in place, your SOP is there. Yes. In a startup world and in a market like Indonesia, you kind of like, whatever you prepare for, it's, it's going to be like, <laughs> you know? So it's really, I've learned to kind of sit back and watch what the market does. Yes. Right, and then you sit and then you kind of decide and respond. A little step at a time right you know if it's, if it's not too bad maybe you can let the community respond to it they have their ways to you know um, yes, move around to respond to your, your your product and in in that whole process your community grows your, your community gets um, engaged with your product and there's a whole the more they discover themselves their, their use case the more attached they are I with see the yes use case. yeah so um, so that's kind of what I I mean more chill not chill but Kind of not go in with this. Oh, I'm gonna go in with this structure. But yeah, so whatever you planned out for, be flexible, be agile. Always, res- always look at the market. It's really the market that is that is going to give you the best information. I see. Yeah. Okay, great. And uh, a couple more questions, uh, especially regarding geography-wise and the markets, right? Southeast Asia is one of the most dynamic regions in the whole world. And every country, you know, from Indonesia, Singapore, Vietnam, Thailand, have a different set of problems, different sort of uh, personas and customers there. So so what is your game plan uh, scaling across this region? And I understand that you, you, you mentioned that you're exploring uh, a third market. So what are some of the, the key considerations or challenges that you foresee going market to market? Hmm. It's a huge, it's a huge undertaking to break a new market. Um, our experience in Indonesia, and Indonesia is so huge, it's so big. Mm. Um, a lot of dynamics and the right partnerships, the right understanding, um, the right support, and hands and feet on the ground is really important. So we're always looking for new markets. You know, there are always suggestions, hey, you know, your kind of thing can work in Vietnam, in Thailand, in India, you know. Exactly. Yeah. We're always um, open, but um, we're always trying to talk to partners whom we think can either go with us or can sort of um, expand our community. And, and with COVID, it's becoming, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a challenge. Yes, yeah. definitely. So we've lost the ability to service the market I see. Um, ourselves, which is so critical to us. Um, so we work very closely with our uh, with our investor companies. We work mm. closely with our affiliates on ground. So, I mean, the COVID situation is kind of like you know it's still pending out as we go along. So a lot of considerations when we mm. when we think about this. But Indonesia is really quite big enough and it is keeping us busy. It is. I'm sure it's your fourth largest population. You know, doing business in Indonesia. Is a, it's good enough of a trophy already. Yeah. Sometimes some companies are not even looking at anywhere else because Indonesia is just yeah insanely huge. And even between you know your Greater Jakarta to your Bandung and your around uh, your your East Java and all that, there are so many uh, dynamic differences between each uh, little region that I live right. in Indonesia. That's also. right. I would yeah. say that our business model is quite replicable across. Um, developing countries like that with similar mm. dynamics yes but a, a huge degree of localization uh, localization is required so mm. the right partnerships we also need to seek funds yes right to make sure that we have the right resources to expand and really get the best out of our attraction in the market I see yeah okay and uh, okay so now we have covered uh, quite a few things about uh, the Indonesian market uh, as well as 
the, the background and the, the growth story of Blue Life. Now let's go more into the tech and the telco space, which you are a subject matter expert. Uh, we don't really have uh, uh, someone in uh, so, someone on this uh, uh, series with as much uh, telco experience as you, you do, right? Uh, and of course, really, I don't think so. <laughs> yes, but we just haven't chanced the right. Mostly, you know, in tech, right? AR, uh, commerce. Right. Um, so, from my observations, right, I observed that uh, quite a lot of telco companies are going to different verticals like mm-hmm. financial services uh, and rolling out, you know, very d- data-first products. Um, and of course, given your extensive experience, how is that going to affect uh, Glue Life and the adoption of internet down the road? Um, so I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a subject matter expert, but based on yes. my years in the telco space, and, and it's been a while, but I, you know, occupation has I still read about them. What yes, they do. Sure. So obviously now it's push for five G across yes. um, the world. At the end of the day, every telco is what they have to do is they have made an investment in the infrastructure. Right, whether it's the frequency costs, the, the kbacks and whatnot, it's about making money. Mm. So as you know, traditional revenue pots, the roaming are coming down. So what they're gonna do is to try and push towards data, mm. you know, more and more data related services and Correct. getting the consumption and adoption of data. And maybe because they're about communications at the end of the day, maybe mm. export them as easily as APIs that Correct. many businesses and enterprises can can make use of. I would say that the because the in Indonesia we succeed because of not so much telcos but because um, the the country is so big right the yes. rollout will always be fragmented and, and okay. the way that the plans are distributed will also always be fragmented so like the price of one gig in Indonesia can vary on a spectrum of the last I calculated two hundred fifty thousand rupiah that's really yes so that that depends on where you get I see they are offering plans like you can get it hundred meg yes three hundred meg. 500 meg, one gig. Those are so small. Yeah, exactly. There, there are thousands of plans, and for each, uh, for each permutation, you can have it for a day, three days, five days, wow. seven days. Okay. Because the working class also buy based on affordability. I see. Right? And some some of them live day to day. Exactly. Which is yes. why products are bought in sachets, not yes. big bottles. Oh man. Yes. Yeah, and it's sold uh, by convenience as well. You're not going to travel like. You know, hundred km just to save you know ten thousand rupiah. Correct. So that arbitrage opportunity is always there. So I would say that as long as data is such a such an integral, I mean, you need connectivity, you need internet. There's no way anyone can live mm-hmm. without internet. So data is such an important commodity and has value. So I would and and that's what Blue's um, mission is. Mm-hmm. We just want to make it easy and accessible. So I think that as this grows, as speed improves, as bandwidth improves. There are just many more business models in which we can exactly engage in, yeah. And that's because of all these different li- uh, little gaps and uh, and uh, lifestyle opportunities that all the, all your consumers and nation face. That's right, and yes. and glue really is because we are we aggregate across telcos, right? So right. the wallet that you have, if you have a digital currency, it allows you to trade for internet across any available, even if this is not your SIM card mm. provider. And maybe because at that point in time you have no signal, yeah. it allows you with that wallet to kind of get internet access from another network, from oh, another a different telco without even changing the SIM card. I see. Right? So okay. you can imagine how useful this is in a local context because you can get more coverage. Exactly. I see. Yeah. So it's in a way quite similar to eSIM. Mm. Like you know, in future you're gonna have uh, just a wallet to be yes. able to kind of uh, 
say that you want 10 gig from this telco and 20 gig from this I telco see. and kind of use it in between mm. and I mean, if, if this COVID situation improves, think of the use case when you travel. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, correct, to have correct. a wallet that you can kind of tap on existing network. And also because the suppliers are people like you and me exactly. who are enjoying it at local rates. Mm. right? So you're getting it at uh, hopefully cheaper, mm. the most optimal. The way this is priced is peer-to-peer. So we don't, uh, we're about matching people, right? Yes, we're not correct. reselling. So you decide how much you want to trade it for and I decide how much I want to take it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we also use uh, uh, data analytics Correct. to try and understand um, the acquisition cost, the, the data acquisition cost versus how much you're going to take it, mm-hmm. how much, the, the appetite to, to say connect. Correct. To and what we do is we then recommend uh, best sort of uh, price in terms of glitz to trade based on location, based Actually. on certain times. Okay based on certain uh, characteristics. For example, in southern regions, we know that the sharer tends to be from this telco. So this telco's network tends to be more ubiquitous okay. as opposed to other telcos. So we try and uh, optimize connections that way. Okay, yeah. so you are really leading on uh, to my next question, which is about data. Mm-hmm. So I understand that uh, Blue Life is quite data analytics driven, right? So what sort of data is being collected by the consumers? And uh, with that data, what can brands leverage on? Uh, how can brands use this data strategically in their businesses? Mm. So um, we measure every. Inter- I mean, we, we take anonymized data every every user interaction in the app. We take it like uh, and we kind of study it and turn it into insights. So yeah. the insights depends on the brands that we work on. For example, we work with uh, Nestle in Indonesia. Okay. So they might have specific. Uh, questions so to say right uh, problem statements to say okay I want to know how um, popular this product is in this region uh, I want to know the consumption patterns yes. of this product so in Indonesia the problem we discover is that the lack of uh, small data hmm. Indonesia trade largely is what they call warungs yes and, correct yeah warungs right. and uh, mitras and, 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 and tokos so, yes. so what we do is we allow small we work with small uh, businesses in Indonesia as well, we allow them to just put up a Wi-Fi hotspot because the minute you have a, a in the warung, in the warung, okay. so a very small shop, and yes. the coverage is is enough. Yes, and uh, from and then one warung can be near another warung. Yes, yeah. yeah. From that, we run programs with the brands to try and uh, acquire data and to try and turn that data into useful insights. I see. Yeah. And then everything could be looked at the aggregate level as well. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what a lot of startups are trying to solve. Uh, perhaps with different approaches. Some of them are rolling out, say, bookkeeping services for our rounds, uh, p- uh, e-wallets, payments, uh, or warehouse inventory systems. And the crux of everything, right, uh, the most valuable asset is definitely getting the, the data out of it because mm-hmm. it's just so difficult to track, which is what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, moving on to a couple more questions. We're down towards the end of uh, this podcast and video. So, um, of course, in another interview, you mentioned that Blue Life deploys uh, AI and blockchain, uh, blockchain technologies to optimize your P2P trades, right? Would you share more about it? Um, blockchain was something that we kind of um, were experimenting with when we first started the startup. Um, but because we have a digital currency, Correct. so you know we tried we tried to explore tokenizing it, you know, using blockchain to secure the transactions and all that. But at that point in time, we felt that the blockchain adoption because we are B two C, we started B two C, so consumers are quite important to us. The adoption wasn't so 
widespread. And mm. it was at that point quite difficult for the users to understand how do I maintain, create Perhaps a blockchain in, wallet and a, a yes. crypto wallet. And, so we felt that that would impede our growth. So we kind of like decided to use just internet technologies <laughs> to, to scale. Mm. Um, we use, uh, we do a lot of data analytics because of the data that we get Yes, to for our own internal use to optimize some of our processes and the way we engage with our customers. And as I said, we use this for to work with brands uh, who actually in turn will then sponsor the internet mm. for the users in, in country. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of say say testing out the blockchain uh, concept and tokenizing your, your currencies, right? Uh, sometimes uh, I believe uh, in a lot of circumstances with a lot of startup founders, uh, you can you can dream you can dream big and dream the most high level concepts. But at the end of the day, right, in certain markets, you it really requires the very simplest of concepts uh, for adoption, right? Mm-hmm. And for quick customer acquisition, right? Yeah. Especially if you're dealing with, say, the working class uh, in your developing economy like Indonesia, uh, uh, all these can all these plans like uh, for tokenizing and all that can be down the pipeline. But if it's done too early, sometimes it impedes growth and, yeah. and your acquisition. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's really how the user, the user's attitude towards it. Yes. Is it easy to use? Do they have a big use case yes. for it in their lives? Yes. For B2C models, this is the most critical. Whatever, however deep and high-tech your, your thing yes. is, it's got to be critical to me, right? In my life, then I will use it. Then there yes. is impact. Then you're, you're making an impact. Exactly. So yeah. the... the the key skill here right, is really empathy for your customers. Not mm-hmm. picturing the coolest thing that, that's going to headline a magazine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, empathizing the customers and see, okay, what will really solve their problems and what is the easiest to use? And sometimes it's not the fanciest of solutions. Yeah. So mm. so I think the difference in the journey when I'm, I mean, like the Google startup journey versus my whole yes. <laughs> is a lot of startup founders, this is what I'm going yes. to say is, is what everybody does. When yes. you first start, you are yourself on the street talking to users hey explaining how it works and you get that ground feel you see you're not getting it from oh some research that you commission or uh, McKinsey BCG study yes. to say that this is the number of users that you might get right yes so that's how we built that's how I built Google um, I really just it's the feedback that I hear from users it's the feedback I hear on the ground it's the feedback I hear from and we just can't mm-hmm. go back okay maybe we can change this maybe we can change that okay yeah. and this is the ground up approach that uh, a lot of staff have to adopt right in yeah. order to be really the closest to the customers it's really high level like high talking point. in the streets yeah <laughs> awesome okay and down to our last few questions uh, how will the introduction and the adoption of 5G especially in Singapore and other smart cities uh, change the landscape for blue life um, I I feel that we see opportunities because yes. 5G is more uh, bandwidth. Um, 5G will go through the same cycle as 4G. Right? Yes. There's a whole rollout phase and um, the telcos will come up with new price plans you know, to try and engage the market. So I don't think that the the, the dynamics will change except that the mm. tech has changed, right? Yes. Because it's higher bandwidth, higher speed phones will start changing. It will start with the early adopters and you'll come yes. to this. So I think that there is much more opportunities for mm. us to use the use this to improve internet access in, in the markets that we operate in. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good thing uh, in your favor. Yes. Okay. That's great. Um, okay. Before we wrap things up, right? Do you have any advice, maybe from lessons that you learned in your corporate experience, uh, that you have to share uh, with some of the startup founders watching this right now? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you must be crazy no, enough no. to do it, right? <laughs> no, 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 I take that back. So, um, it's, it's, I'm seeing that it's quite a common path. I mean, quite a few people are, especially the young younger people. Um, for me, my own experience is that it really, because um, you start with, for me, because I jump from corporate where there's so much resources at, at my, you know, yes. can, to nothing. Right, I yes, have to bootstrapping sometimes. To, yes. They just create something out of nothing. Yes. So you, it requires you to dig deep, mm. dig deep, right, into you uh, as a person, and know your strengths and weaknesses, and mm. and uh, kind of open your eyes and and uh, to be real about what works and what uh, what can't, what I can deal with and what I can't. So um, it's life changing. Yes, it's really life changing. It's it's. You, it's got to be about what you like to do it's got to be about passion yes. a lot of times you're going to get very tired you're going to get a lot of hard knocks you're going to yeah. get a lot of door you know <laughs> and then you have to keep going yes right so sounds like a very emotionally uh, emotional journey emotion and, and yes. I know myself much better now I see mm-hmm. I'm not that I'm like in my mid 40s right so it's good for self-awareness and it's good for um Character building, and I mean, what I want to do is really to make sure that what I do has a has an impact. Okay. Yeah. So be real. Um. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're game to try, it's gonna be life changing, interesting experience. Exactly. So you 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 guys should know what you're signing up for. But <laughs> as they say, you know, high risk, high rewards. And and, and no, delving into this space, you know, stepping away from the corporate experience, it's huge risk. Right, your paycheck is not certain. No paycheck. Your, yes, no, yes, even no paycheck for the first years, which is very, very typical. You're in the Ritz, uh, going to a new market, meeting new people. It's very, very scary, but you reward for truly understanding yourself and also impacting many people's lives. So especially the very underserved people, uh, the underserved working class will be a very, very fulfilling uh, journey down the road. Okay, so of course, where can people reach you to find out more uh, or, or where can people connect with you uh, to find out more about Google Life? Ah, oh, they can just look me out on LinkedIn. Awesome, okay. Thank you so much, Shufa. Do you have anything else to say to our audience before we close? No, fantastic uh, time talking to you. Thank you so much for, for being on this show and thank you. I personally learned a lot and I'm sure you guys did as well. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, do give us a like and follow us for more episodes to come. I'm Vanessa and thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Quest Ventures, top venture capital fund in Asia, in collaboration with Pixel, the innovation hub of Infocom Media Development Authority. Follow us for more exciting episodes to come and stay in touch with us or find out more about Quest Ventures investment syndicates at questventures.com. Till next time.